afternoon, you false church Anglican. How are y'all doing this morning, this afternoon? In case you haven't seen it, there's a sign up here that says, Feed My Sheep. And so I'd love you to grab the best menu in the house and turn to page 10, 12. James 3. We're delving into James's teaching on the power of our words, particularly the power of our tongues. No matter how familiar that you might believe yourself to be with this topic, let us not underestimate its importance today. Though simple, this lesson carries profound significance that is far-reaching. I know we have some kids here this morning. When I was in sixth grade, there was a girl on a school bus named Jackie. And I told Jackie and everyone there that I wanted to go to a private boarding school. And you had to have really good grades for this. And Jackie turned to me and she laughed and said, please, you're never going to get into boarding school. You're a C student and you will always be a C student. Ouch. Such discouraging words to hear that young. But here's the worst part. These phrases were spoken 30 years ago. And I still remember them vividly like they were said to me yesterday. Words not only shape our identity, they empower us to fulfill our roles and our responsibilities in accordance with God's missions. And as believers, we rely on words to express our faith. As it says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. So James's lesson is particularly relevant for teachers. However, considering the final verse, if you would just look at verse 12, considering this final verse in this section, it's urging all of us to examine our hearts. He writes, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So let's take a brief look at the outline that we'll walk through today as we look at what James is teaching us, and there are three key points that we're going to explore. First, James highlights the oversized power of your tongue. Second, he brings our attention to the challenging task of taming the tongue. And finally, he warns us that there are consequences of a divided tongue if you don't decide to tame it. There are consequences. So with this roadmap in mind, let's take a closer look at what James has to say. So in his first point, James wants us to grasp the oversized power of the tongue. It is small, but it is big. He uses two powerful illustrations to drive home this point. So first he says in verse 3, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So in boarding school, I had the privilege of being around just these magnificent Arabian horses. They weighed about 1,000 pounds. Their strength and their grandeur were just awe-inspiring, and there were over 100 of these horses. But what was even more powerful for me was that this massive beast with all of this power was controlled with a few mere pounds of a bit and bridle. Simple tools, a leather strap, a little piece of metal just bent over the tongue of that horse meant that a rider could guide the horse's movements, harnessing its immense strength as they wished. 
Second illustration, James says, look at these ships also. They're so large and are driven by strong winds. They're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. And in case you're not getting his point, in verse 5, James pulls it together. These small things, the bits, the rudders, the tongue, they yield significant impact. He writes, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. What's also interesting about this example that James uses is that in both cases, both the bit and the rudder are involved in setting their vessels in motion along a path. Our words have the power to do the same thing. Their impact reverberates outward the direction of our lives and the lives of those who hear our words, guiding us at times as to what or where we're going to go next. A single word with intention. It can shape an entire day. It can transform an entire family. It can alter the course of a life, and it can impact the destiny of a nation. So in 1939, World War II is looming, and his subjects were still in the process of recovering from all the damages and losses of World War I. And King George VI knew the weight of his words. He knew what they would carry. And in a pivotal moment, he delivered a resolute speech. It ignited hope and resilience. And like a guiding light, his words breathed life into dormant spirits. He inspired unity amidst adversity, and the impact was so profound it shaped the course of that weary nation. Here's an excerpt from what he said. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. Perhaps not on the same scale as King George, God has given each of us little kingdoms. People who we're responsible over, who our words hold sway over. And James just calls us to understand that how we speak to others is not to be taken lightly. What we say, it has that potential to build up or to tear down, to encourage or to discourage, to bring life or to inflict harm. So, to sum up James's first point, the words we choose are important and powerful. That's it. Let's move to the second part of verse 5 and verse 8, where James is going to acknowledge something that is helpful for all of us to remember. It is not an easy endeavor to control one's tongue. Do you remember the Arabian horses that I just talked about? Like training those Arabian horses, taming our tongue is going to require patience and persistence. I watched the cadets at my school try to train these horses, and they learned firsthand enduring bumps and bruises and frequent trips to the health center as they tried to teach these powerful creatures to respond to the gentle tug of a bridle. Similarly, taming our tongues, it's a process. It takes time. It takes perseverance. It takes incremental growth because point two, the tongue, it can do a world of damage. 
and it is hard to tame. So the second part of verse 5, here's what James wrote. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So as I wrote this, I was reminded of the hundreds of wildfires that are currently burning through millions of acres of boreal forests in Canada. How great a forest set ablaze by a spark of some sort. And on top of that actual flame, the smoke, the fallout from the fires, the impacts of the blades, they are extensive. Who can tame a forest that is set ablaze? Lord, have mercy. Our tongues have the potential to unleash destructive forces that with rhetorical flourish, James says, can be fueled by hell itself. The tongue has an oversized power. And therefore, a slight misuse of it can do a great deal of damage. Solomon wisely stated, Proverbs 18, 21, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And if we can picture words as a potential spark, it is so much easier to contain a spark than it is to control blazing clusters of combustible conifers. Once the insensitive, the hurtful, harsh words leave our mouths, they can become inflammatory sparks. And the paths they take can get out of control. Now, you know this. This is probably not news to any of you. Long ago, you learned the same adage that I did in sixth grade. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can never hurt me is painfully ignorant. In the course of life, when you look back over your shoulder, you will find that it was the words spoken, not the stones thrown, that have left the deeper imprint. A Greek philosopher once said, I've often repented speaking, but never of holding my tongue. So the question is this, if we know this, all of us, we're wise, we've been around, why? Why is it so difficult to control our tongue? So in Matthew 12, 34, Jesus addressed a group of hypocritical religious leaders whose tongues were throwing sparks all over the place. <laughs> and he imparts wisdom for all of us on this topic. He says to them, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And there it is. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Just as an EKG reveals the condition of the physical heart, so too a transcript of everything that we've said this past week would likely be revelatory of what is overflowing out of our spiritual hearts. And it's worth thinking about, actually. As the song said, just think about it. Because eventually, our mouths end up expressing what our hearts think and what our hearts feel. So the question is, what's abundant in your heart today? Doubt in God's goodness or trust in God's goodness? Desire for control or rest in God's sovereignty and his justice. Scarcity mindset, I have to take care of myself or trust in God's lavish love. 
feelings of inadequacy or rest in knowing that you are perfectly and wonderfully made by God just the way that you are. Longing for a sense of belonging or enjoying your position as God's beloved child. All of these are valid feelings. We cycle through them as human beings, walking through the ups and downs of this life. And what's coming out of our mouths, they may provide us with a helpful window into what beliefs are abundantly residing in our hearts. And Jesus makes it clear that there is a connection between our hearts and our tongues. And it's worth tending to our hearts as the words are the effect. They come downstream from that heart. Words from a falling heart will harm and words from a redeemed heart will bring love. So we can tend the heart to tame the tongue. And while we never can do this perfectly, and I hope that you hear this, we grow in wisdom and attention to God, which will be a blessing to the forest that we live in, to the seas that our rudders are navigating, and to those horses that our bits guide. One simple way to tend our heart is this, and it's a counter to the way a lot of us move. Slow down. Notice where we're at and listen to God. So there are a lot of small liturgies that can help us do this. These can be found in the Book of Common Prayer. If you don't have one, get it on your bookshelf right next to your lamp. Write something to yourself. Find something that others have written that inspires you to slow down and think. Now, I'm usually the one that does the coffee in my house. So here's one that I found really helpful, and I shared it with some guys at the men's retreat. This is called The Ritual of Morning Coffee, and it's taken from Every Moment Holy by Douglas McKelvey. This is how I try to start my morning. I try. <laughs> Meet me, O Christ, in the stillness of morning. Meet me, O Spirit, to quiet my heart. Mend me, O Father, from yesterday's harms. From the discords of yesterday, resurrect my peace. From the discouragements of yesterday, resurrect my hope. From the weariness of yesterday, resurrect my strength. From the doubts of yesterday, resurrect my faith. And from the wounds of yesterday, resurrect my love. Let me enter this new day aware of my need and awake to your grace, O Lord. Amen. Along with slowing down, we can also just listen up. Listen to words that are way wiser than our own. By treasuring God's word in our hearts, we let his words shape our words. If when listening to our heart's spokesperson, our tongue, the Holy Spirit brings an awareness of an area we are missing out on his truths about ourselves or about God or about others, and we can look to his word for truths on this topic, you need to write them down on a note card when you find it. Tape it to the inside of your medicine cabinet. Make the wallpaper on your phone that note. Memorize them with your children in the morning. Keep them on a sticky note in your pocket. Read them briefly before entering the situations that tend to activate the untruthful things that you've identified. And you may be thinking, oh, come on, this is a bit much. Well, harnessing the tongue's destructive power is a daunting challenge. And these words are chosen carefully. As we cultivate our hearts and align them with God's word, we are embarking on a patient 
path. This is not an overnight fix. It is a patient path to tame our tongues so that they will speak in harmony with God's truth. So, what has James said? Our tongues are small, but have an oversized power. And second, this power, it can do a whole world of damage, and it's tough to control. What have we said? If this is the case, then, well, our words matter, and we contend our hearts to tame our tongues. That's simple. That's all that we have said. James got, he has one more point, and it builds on the others, and it's this. A tongue divided cannot stand. Driving home the point, James says this of our tongues. With it, we bless our Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Have you ever noticed how one, one ill-spoken word can do or undo a thousand good words? One ill-spoken word can sometimes completely change our opinions of someone that we hold in high regard. So follow me back to the, the king's speech. So this carefully crafted word from the king, it was successful. It conveyed the message. Imagine if King George, thinking that the broadcast mic was turned off, turned to his team and said something like, I hate doing these speeches, and I'm sick of talking about this war. Hey, who wants to get away for a vacation this weekend? <laughs> In an instant, one ill-spoken word would sully the entire speech, revealing the true contents of his heart. One ill-spoken word, it can undermine even the king's great speech. So as we come to a close, let's consider just two, two practical applications. One for our church community, it's all of us, and then just individuals as well. So first, within the church, what was the big issue in that early church? Certainly it was unity. The early believers came from diverse backgrounds brought together as a family of faith. Jews, Gentiles, rich, poor, and the way that they spoke to and about one another, that would determine the authenticity of their gospel witness and the strength of their gospel unity. Or it would be the way in which they would tear one another apart. Christianity is, as Sam said this morning, it's a word-centric faith. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Luke eleven twenty eight. but he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. As Christians, words shape our lives. They express our identity in Christ. Let us examine words within our church community. Do they ignite destructive fires of gossip and judgment spoken behind backs? Or do they embody the mercy, the honesty, the compassion of the gospel uniting and strengthening our community? 
Secondly, as individuals living in a world of casual communication, we witness a prevailing culture where words are just like carelessly thrown around without consideration for their impact. Social media platforms have become breeding grounds for cathartic, thoughtless remarks, hurtful comments, and the spreading of negativity. Our tongues have become untamed beasts. They cause a lot of harm, while they also possess potential for great good. To address this issue of negative words, let us purposefully multiply our use of gospel words. Let our tongues become a spokesperson for God's heart rather than our own. If our mouths speak from the overflow of the heart, then let's tune our heart's orientation to increasingly speak from the overflow of God's, God's heart. And here's how we can achieve this. By immersing ourselves in God's word. Let the word of God characterize our written communications on the internet. Let them fill our homes. Let them guide our interactions, even in contexts where it would not be okay or appropriate to directly quote scripture, quote scripture. Maybe it's a work email or it's a work conversation. But let us consider whether our words honor God. So James has imparted what is really just a simple, it's very simple, but a profound truth. Our words possess immense power and our tongues are not easily controlled. Therefore, let us take heed. This is wisdom. Work diligently to utilize our tongue for good. So before I close, I want to go back up to verse 2 where James wrote, we all stumble in many ways. We're my fifth thirdish. You guys still here? All right. So that night, after Jackie told me that I wasn't going anywhere in life, I went home and I really studied, like for the first time in my life, I broke that book open and I got to work all night. I had a test the next day. I actually fell asleep with a book on my face. <laughs> and I did so well on that test that the teacher thought I cheated and she made me come back to take that test again. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the beginning of a shift in the trajectory of my life. Her words were meant to harm, but God is sovereign over all words. The negative things she said actually ended up motivating me, giving me a drive to show that I could be successful. And in some ways, God used her harsh words to break me out of poverty. I share this story to encourage us all because we probably all remember at least one time that we have said an unkind word to someone else, and now, ouch, we regret it. Even when we stumble, God is sovereign. This is worth remembering also, as we have all likely been on the receiving end at least once of hurtful words. God is sovereign. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you can heal our broken hearts from untrue words spoken to and about us. And you can heal the hearts that we have hurt. Lord, in your name, 
heal us. Fill our hearts and our minds with your true and life-giving words. Help those to be the words that overflow from our hearts and out of our mouths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand, Joyce.